Sunday. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. One day right down in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream. Welcome to the Ambassador Podcast a resource created by a community of Christians seeking to represent God to a watching world in humility, unity, and boldness. Our goal is to educate, be educated, encourage, be encouraged, challenge, and be challenged as we pursue a heavenward perspective of God's heart for racial equity and reconciliation rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Ambassador Podcast. Uh, the Ambassador is a biblically informed Christian coalition that engages issues of religion, race, and culture in ways that pursue reconciliation. I am your host, Jared Cole, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Miss Persia Gambles hey. and Tracy Spears. What up? Yo, how y'all doing today? I mean, just another day that the Lord let me see. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. We here. My great grandmother used to say that, and I was like, "Okay, like Like, that sounds really final." (laughs) Wow, final and spiritual. Like, you you love the Lord. Did you sound exhausted when you? Yeah, it was like a a jaded kind of, you know. And I was like, "You all right?" (laughs) Yo, my my grandmother, my family appreciate this man. Like, she's like the spiritual matriarch in the Mm. family, uh, and like we used to. You get up in the morning, you know, you're trying to sleep in, but you got grandma upstairs and you can just hear her just praying, you know, walking Dang. around, just praying, Ooh. just prayer on her tongue, you know, all the time. Dang. So if this is your first time tuning into The Ambassador, what you can expect from us is really just biblically informed, honest dialogue and open conversation. Uh, we are aiming to create a space where tough conversations are the norm and where we can come together in humility, unity and boldness. So uh, we're going to jump right in, man. This next episode, episode nine, is called Where Are All the Black Theologians? Where they at? And I think this is a, <laughs> this is a, a topic that's near and dear to me. I know it's near and dear to y'all in here as well, um, especially because like we're, we're all theology students, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're taking courses right now. We're, we're inching our way to uh, getting a master's degree in mm-hmm. theological studies. And so we've, we've been diving into a lot of this kind of stuff. We've been learning about different theologians, different time periods, different, different eras of, of Christian history. Uh, and there's been a question that's been lurking in the back of my mind, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even before starting the, the, the courses, but it's also become more clear mm-hmm. that this question is so necessary, man. So like, where are all the black theologians Theologians. This episode is unique because it's wrapped up in a question as we discuss issues around faith and biblical interpretation and application as it relates to the African American experience. So I just want to hear from you guys, man. Why do you think, or why are we doing this episode, right? Or why do you think this episode is so important? Um, for me, I of course speak about this from the worldview and perspective of being a black woman. Um, and culturally within the black community, I think black women are seen as, as in a lot of ways, the, the, the backbone of the church in the black church. And um, I, I, I've like watched like my mom, my grandmother, like those types of people um, kind of embrace that identity somewhat, um, both in good ways and bad ways. Um, but it always felt like it was limited to these kind of like service 
like like service oriented parts of the church, and that's not bad. Yeah. But it, it, I think it's it's a limited view of it. Like I, I don't think that. Um, Women, especially women of color's role in the church, should be limited to the cooking, the cleaning, or the childcare of the church. Mm-hmm. They were there, they were and are um, present in really real ways, yeah. theologically, doctrinally, you know, like educationally. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that there's a need to shed light on them, both historically, you know, in the past and now in the present. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think to add to that, from my perspective, honestly, when I first became a believer, I didn't even have a category for black theologians. Like, I don't think I've heard anyone ever talk about the contributions of uh, African Americans to um, the church or anything along those lines. And so I think it's important because I, I feel like there's a lot of people who sit in the same position as I was or are sitting in the same position um, now. And so to be able to have a space where we're actually talking about navigating how God has used from the very beginning every tribe and nation to glorify him. And so I think it's important to not miss out the impact of these uh, theologians. Yeah, I think that's so good, right? And, and uh, man, as we're learning in theology, right? You've the the African American experience in America is so unique, and it's and often we can get to a point, uh, you know, where we're at some point wrestling with our faith and wondering if the Christian faith, as expressed in America, is even for Black folks, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's such a it's such a strong wrestling. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but man, as I've been going through these courses and thinking about this kind of stuff, man, it's it's really hit home to me. Uh, and even one of the greatest miracles in Christian history is the birth of black Christians on American soil, right? You have to ask the question, why, right? Is it because Africans didn't know about Christianity? Like, no, like, you know, we won't have time to dive into the history of Christianity in Africa, but if you go back to the book of Acts and check out the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right, timestamp that, and you'll be able to answer that for yourself, right? This, this communication here, uh, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch didn't stay there, right? Like he went back and took the Christian faith with him. Right, and so you're thinking about Ethiopia, and uh, the Christian that's going on there, like like that started back then, and so you can you can imagine that the Christian faith didn't just stay there, but it probably expanded mm-hmm. around Africa, <clears throat> and we know we have other African church fathers in the faith as well. All right, but moving forward, uh, the Africans that were being stolen and sold to come to America mostly hadn't known Christ. But what they did bring was their own culture, their own heritage and other religions. And, and, and these cultures and religions were obviously seen as heathen. And so the slave owner Christians thought it was good to begin converting these slaves. And even as that rolls off my tongue, right, I can, I can taste the inconsistency uh, in that statement. But uh, we'll try to get to that a little bit later. But the result of this is that many of the slaves came to know Christ, even despite the injustices, even despite the violence, even despite the hatred. Uh, but we learn, uh, but when they learn to read and begin to read and understand the scriptures on their own, they started to see an inconsistency in the way that they were being treated in the way they should be treated. And so there's obviously a controversy there. So why is this so controversial? I want to toss this up to you, Persia and Tracy, to handle this a little bit, because I mean, some people listening to this may be thinking, well, you know, the scriptures don't straight up condone 
slavery, or they may even misinterpret Paul and say, uh, you know, didn't Paul say that upon receiving Christ that uh, no one should strive to leave the life state that they're in? If you look at 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 20, it, it, it talks about that, uh, right? It says, it says in verse 17, it starts, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Verse 18, was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter and uncircumcision does not, circumcision does not matter and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. And verse 20 says this, let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But here's the important part. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity, right? And so it was passages like that that were actually used in the slavery times to actually keep slaves in, 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 in uh, servitude, right? But you obviously miss certain parts of that so that way uh, the slave doesn't know. But once they began to learn on their own and read on their own, they were able to see stuff like that and actually see the inconsistency in the faith that was being taught to them. Uh, and so, yeah, I want to know, is there any way that we can think about this in light of crossing the bridge between what this meant in the first, second century church and what it means for us today? I think so. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think there are two very important things to think about with this. One, the system of slavery seen in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, mm-hmm. it's, it's a far cry mm-hmm from the transatlantic slave slave trade that started in 1619. They're they're two completely different things. Mm-hmm. The transatlantic the transatlantic slave trade was legitimately it was a generational curse on people from Africa. It meant that legitimately the the moment you were captured, whether you were sold from another country or another tribe, but you once you entered into that slave trade, you were a slave. Your children were slaves. Your children's 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 were slaves. That 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 went on forever up yes, until right. 1865, depending right. on what state decided to get their, their crap together. Mm-hmm. Sorry to say something else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we are wow. a Christ-driven podcast. Um, but so that's one thing. Like, like you're. So when someone speaks about the slavery in the Bible, using specifically those passages and mm-hmm. ones like them, they are not speaking about what black, brown, and disenfranchised people went through in the 1800s that's good. Mm-hmm. and before that. You know, like that. You're not speaking about like that. You know, and also mm-hmm. slavery in the Bible. It was meant to be a timed thing. You were able to be free. Like yep. it was. It was part of the agreement. That's right. You know, and you were able to earn a wage at a certain point. You. The, it, it it just it wasn't based on and then it also was not racial mm-hmm. like it legitimately was not based on the color of your skin transatlantic slave trade was mm-hmm. so that's one thing yep. another mm-hmm. thing you were talking about how legitimately we are asked to think through, through these things theologically mm-hmm. often um a very helpful tool in thinking about how to apply the scriptures is uh, determining whether something is a prescriptive event Mm -hmm. in scripture or a descriptive event in scripture. When something is prescriptive, that means that it legitimately explains something that 
should happen or or in a teaching nature like this is ethically like what scripture would call wise and unwise good bad all those types of things you know like mm-hmm. 10 commandments uh-huh. did it like anything you can think that like leads you morally descriptive events like you could you, like an example would be uh judges uh-huh. like these are things that just happened like it's it's not saying that there's there's any sort of like application in those things now because yeah. politically we're not a theocracy um legitimately like we're post uh-huh. ascension of Christ mm-hmm. so like there's there's certain things about like how we learn and and yeah. look to the scriptures in an implication and application way that are completely different from the people that wrote them in that time because we worship a risen Christ mm-hmm. and that that mm-hmm. so so when we're speaking about the institution of slavery seen in the Bible, that's a prescriptive event. I mean, that's a descriptive event, like something that has happened. But our embracing of the Imago Dei, our embracing of, of loving people um, as the, the foundation of how we interact with the world around us, all those things are prescriptive, meaning yeah, yeah. that we are called to do them. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was great. Um, but I think even hearing you break that down, Persia, I think there's some parallels that we can draw from the book in Exodus um, into American slavery mm-hmm. and what that tells us about, one, people's heart to already desire to make a God out of themselves or something else, something created, mm-hmm. but then, two, how that leads us to be sinful people. Um, and I think the picture of Pharaoh um, is a great example of what we see of even uh, the parallel between slave owners are yeah. just people who condone slavery mm-hmm. um, during the, that time. And so I think one of the things that I find so interesting as I read through Exodus and the parallel uh, between American slavery is while uh, Exodus doesn't necessarily break down and give um, particular uh, information of the, what it was like to be an Israelite and to be oppressed, mm-hmm. But there's literal stories within there that talks about, man, the Pharaoh throwing babies into the wow. Nile. Wow, yeah. And we see that when we look to mm-hmm. slavery in America, yep. where yep. people will legit mm-hmm. throw black babies mm-hmm. to alligators mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. bait. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wow. so there's parallel between that. And right. I often find myself wondering, man, what would it what would it have been like to be an Israelite during that time, actually pleading for God to like save them, to free them? And what would that have been like for you know, people to uh, see that and witness that and not do anything about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gave me a parallel to what it would be like to be a slave in America. That, that picture of man, God, where are you? Where will you be? Where will you come and see and free us? And what we, we learn about that in Exodus is that man, God is actually a God who liberates who actually redeems and frees even against people like Pharaoh or even against mm-hmm. like slave owners and things like that. And so um, there's, there's tons. I, I would recommend, yeah, reading through Exodus and yeah. then telling me how you don't see the parallel between that of American slavery. And then in that seeing the beautiful picture of God being the redeemer to still say that, Hey, I see my people, I hear their cries and I'm calling them out of that. And then that should be yeah. a picture for us as a, a church to say, wow. we need to, to lament and walk alongside these people as well. Yeah, that's so good, man. Um, not too long ago, uh, I was starting a Bible reading plan, and we, you know, got through Genesis, trying to read the whole Bible in a year. Got through Genesis, got to Exodus, and I was at a time in my life where, like, I couldn't get past the first couple <laughs> chapters in Exodus, right? Because the 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 slavery, the treatment of the Israelites by uh, the Egyptian 
uh, Pharaoh, mm-hmm. you know, was was just so. Uh, I was in a place in my life where that just it just hit too close to home, right? And so, like the reality of the uh, parallel from Egyptian slavery to our American slavery is 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 really there, you know, and it's and it's and it's so stark. And so, I think you did that really, really well, Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what the Exodus points us to, and even what uh, American slavery points us to, and the emancipation from it, is that you know God fundamentally serves as a role mm-hmm. of liberator. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think this is extremely, extremely important, specifically for the African American context. Right, all throughout the scriptures, we actually see God playing this role of of liberator. Uh, in America, like many other countries, and we can look back to the Exodus, right? We have a history of an oppressive people group oppressing other people groups. In the most early rendition of this in America was oppression by race, right? You you hit on this a little bit, Persia, um, and you've heard us discuss this on other podcasts. And so if you want to hear more on this specific topic, you can check out um, some some earlier podcasts, Uh but this idea of race is a social construct used to create a hierarchy uh, for the purpose of oppression. And these blatant actions, both de jure and de facto, right? De jure meaning by law or officially sanctioned and de facto meaning by mm-hmm. uh, really collective conscience and, and unofficially sanctioned. Um, an example of, of de jure would be like the black codes, right? Mm-hmm. Or... Um, the Jim Crow laws, mm-hmm. the sun, uh, sundown town laws, right? Mm-hmm. Like not being able to be outside after a certain time, not being able to be in, be in, a, in a, a certain part of the city at a certain time, not being able to go in uh, XYZ store, not being able to go in uh, uh, white only restrooms, all these different kinds mm-hmm. of things. If you did want to go into a store, you had to go into the back of the store, right? Mm-hmm. And have things dropped off to you, all these sorts of things. Um, there was a time uh, up until 1967, miscegenation laws, where uh, it was literally illegal for uh, racists to intermarry, right? And so that's even such a new thing. Uh, the de facto laws by collective conscience or these unofficially sanctioned uh, laws or these or these ways that were that, that, that were being acted upon in America, like white flight, right? No one said... Uh, white people had to flee from the cities where black people were now becoming a part of. Like, that's just what the collective conscience and this unofficially sanctioned thing started doing, right? And so uh, the black Christian in America, I feel like because of these things, is a miracle that has held on to the truths of the scripture, even when they were intentionally being withheld from us by both secular and religious brothers and sisters. And so part of this dilemma of coming to Christ is wrestling with doubts, right? And all Christians wrestle with doubts. Uh, But specifically for the African-American in America, part of this dilemma of coming to Christ is wrestling with doubts of whether, number one, God is real, which uh, we all may do that, whether Jesus is real, which we all may do that, and whether Jesus really conquered the grave. These are things that we must believe to be a Christian. But wrestles may be there nonetheless. But because of the African-American experience in this country, we have had to wrestle with those basic foundational spiritual realities on top of the questioning of, okay, if Jesus is real or if Christianity is real, are they for me specifically (laughs) as a black and brown person in America, 
right? The inflicted sufferings, the silence, and the complicity by those who claim Christ present a barrier to black and brown people that inevitably force us to ask this question. And so uh, you may not have been around this, uh, if you're listening to this on my listeners, uh, very much, or you may have just now start hearing it for the first time because of the cultural moment. But the question of is Christianity, the white man's religion, is a common and pervasive question that uh, navigates the black communities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different religions that black people have flocked to historically, like Islam or even um the nation of Islam, right? With Elijah Muhammad, uh, the black Hebrew Israelites, and and they're false religions, but there's ones that are um, that are more accepting of the black community, the black experience, and so that they're way more attractive uh, than the American Christianity that's that's been here. Also, I'm so, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. You're good. Um, I think there's also the 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 fact that a lot of and and we may talk about this later or mm-hmm. or not but there's also a lot of african americans go to primarily like majority culture like white churches mm-hmm. and and learn about you know the theological greats you know that you think of like the church fathers and and like you know enlightenment people mm-hmm. um you know the edwards the the whitfields the you know all those mm-hmm. people um and and, and are of course, like theologically greatly helped by their writing, their books, their journals, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Um, and then there's a there's this this really unfortunate event where you feel like, oh well the black church didn't teach me anything mm-hmm. or or you feel like mm-hmm. I, I never knew this stuff, you yep. know. Mm-hmm. But I think that I think that it's so wrong to take that view, both because in the in the realm of black theologians, as we're as we're going to talk about, like there's still a lot that we don't yep. know. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, there's still a lot to be uncovered, a lot of rocks to be turned, and 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 so yes, like there are ways that um, changing your your primary um, your primary ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical like context can teach you of of different like theological people to look up mm-hmm. to to learn from, mm-hmm. but that's for every single like. Christian sect that you yeah. would deem solid, yeah. you know, not just for the one that is opposite your skin color. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. And so I think in terms of, man, the episode and the title episode, we're all the black theologians. I think because of things that you're saying, Persian, because mm-hmm. what we're talking about so far, man, like uh, there is a necessity to understand and know and actually pursue the knowledge of black theologians. Mm-hmm. So this is where the importance of black theologian enters this question. And so based on what we talked about so far, like why do you think black theologians in the pursuit of their, their knowledge and how they can actually impact our faith and how we walk our Christian life, why, why is that so important? Well, I think first and foremost, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that we were never meant to see the scriptures and theolog- like the deep things of God. We were never meant to see those through the theological eyes of dead white men alone. Mm-hmm. Um, though, unfortunately, in our camp of Christianity and ones like ours, this is what usually happens. Um, I have been greatly helped by these men and many others, mm-hmm. but I think it's a limited view to think and believe that they were the only ones um, who were the theological greats of their time, mm. you know, and ours. Mm-hmm. Um, hearing 
their hearts for God um, and their studies of God have greatly helped me. But I know that that's led me to have a limited view of like the minds of black people in terms of their theology. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I think just to add to that, as you were saying, Persia, that having, um, when we don't actually talk about the black theologians within our context or in our conversations, we have an anemic view of a lot of things. And um, this, like, despite how it could be easy to, to push it aside, um, yeah, I just think that we're, we're missing so many perspectives that are actually helpful in yeah. actually gaining ground and understanding what does it even look like to suffer well. Mm-hmm. I think even beyond like understanding diversity within the church, there's so many other things that we learn from um, back theologians alongside our white brothers and sisters. And yeah. so I think if we, if we don't actually have them in the conversation, if we don't actually start to um, actually bring them into what it looks like when we teach um, theology, then we lose uh, a huge aspect of what it looks like to, to study God's word yeah. in some aspect. Yeah. That's true. That's really good. I, I co-sign all of that, man. Like, I think for me, uh, their importance comes in a few ways. Number one, it helps us better understand the theology of suffering. Uh, for two, it highlights God as liberator, Right. And for three, it helps us better understand God in, in this all the saints terms. I kind of call it that. Right. And so just to break this down a little bit more, this theology of suffering, uh, the experience of the African-Americans uh, this, that we experience, uh, the African-American Christians in this country is a faithful one in spite of injustice, even at the hands of our own white brothers and sisters in Christ. And the God and liberator, because of this experience, our African-American experience, we not only have developed the reality of God as creator and father uh, and, and savior, but also as God as liberator, right? He actually frees us um, uh, to be our whole selves, to be our whole human being. And then lastly, this holistic theology, right? This understanding of, of, God, uh, of, of God in all the saints' terms. If we look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, my brother Q kind of turned me on to this, um, but it says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend, it's most important, with all the saints, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? And just that all the saints language in there to me is is so important. Mm. Right, this passage is so powerful because it communicates something to us about the necessity of diversity, right? Like you guys are all saying this, that we're not saying, we're not learning anything from the fathers and the theologians uh, that, we, that we experience from our theology classes and what we know in these, in these circles that we're in. Mm-hmm. But we're saying that in addition to these voices, uh, a diversity of voices, black voices in particular, can actually help round out our theology on how we think about uh, these type of issues without diversity and thought and inclusion of theologians from different cultures. And in this case, primarily black theologians, we miss out on what Paul is trying to get at here. So believe it or not, we cannot come to scriptures void of our cultural identities. 
No one has a monopoly on biblical observation, interpretation, or application, right? Like, the Germans don't have monopoly on it. The French <laughs> don't have monopoly on it, right? Uh, uh, the, the dominant culture in America doesn't have monopoly on it. So without intentional pursuit of diverse voices and experiences, we will miss out on the holistic expression of God and fail to comprehend with all the saints the things that he desires for us of himself. And so with that, as we start to round up here, I just want to know from you guys, what are, who are some of the black theologians that have been critical in your Christian walk? Um, for me, there have been or are several both living and not living. Um, and I list these for people listening to this partially so that you can find people um, of the same, like in the same nature. Um, so currently living, I would say Jackie Hill Perry, Trillia Newbell, Shaniqua Walker Barnes, Carl Ellis, K.A. Ellis, Micah Edmondson, and Jasmine Holmes, to name a few. These are people that are living now, working now. Um, and then people that are no longer living, uh, Kane Hope Felder. She created the African Heritage Study Bible. Mm-hmm. That is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Octavia Albert, Charles Octavius Booth. He has a book called Plain Theology for, Th- for Plain People. And he literally, I can't remember if he was, if he was either a slave at that time or a recently released slave um, that pastors would like he became a pastor and like would preach to black congregations and like just really cool dude. Mm. Um, and Mahalia Jackson. That's good. Um, these people, whether living or dead contributed to the history of black people caring about the church, caring about Jesus and thinking deeply on the things of God. Um, I have and still do have tons. I've done research and still have tons of research to do, but um, these weren't people I learned about in my church history classes. And mm-hmm. I feel like they should have been. Mm. That's good. Yeah, dang. I think Persia hit a lot. I and mean, I feel like I need to look up some of those names because I, I, I got a lot to still learn. Like I said in the beginning, like yeah, yeah. when I first came to Believe, I didn't learn much about yeah, yeah. Uh, black theologians and what that looked like and how they contribute to the faith. And so I think some of the people that Persia named, like Jackie Hill Perry, has been huge in what it looks like to um, just be someone that faithfully knows and loves Jesus and walks towards him. And then mm-hmm. um, Brian Lords mm-hmm. is also amazing. Um, just wanting to to look towards people who truly would say, yeah, Jesus is number one, and I want to look more like him. And so those are a few people that I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, you can't go wrong, I don't think, <laughs> uh, looking up any of these guys. So if you if you have free time, as a matter of fact, make time <laughs> to mm-hmm. put some of these names in your Google search and, and, and go check them out and see how they've contributed to the faith. For me... Uh, it's been guys like Frederick Douglass. And I don't even know if you can consider Frederick Douglass a theologian, but he has helped shape and form like my view on uh, Christianity, especially in terms of how we relate to it in American Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right? He has he's super bold, and he's actually stepped out and and and, and talked against kind of this uh, uh, the oppressive culture of America that's crept into the churches that actually allowed this this, you know, institution of not only slavery, mm-hmm. but this, you know, segregation type mindset as mm-hmm. well. And this just mm-hmm. mindset that fed on this hate, you know, he was one of the early uh, liberators, abolitionists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was prominent in American government, right? And mm-hmm. But he actually spoke out 
on this on this thing, and he actually says this this quote. I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like, um, you know, he speaks of Jesus, and he says that the he he loves Jesus, he loves Christianity, but the Christianity that's in America, like he knows nothing of it, <laughs> right? Because it's it's so other than what. Uh, to him in that time, it was so other than what, you know, he knew of the Jesus in the scriptures. Uh, and so I think if you haven't read Frederick Douglass's autobiography, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and check that out, man. He's he's a very interesting dude. Um, Tony Evans, speaking of uh, the African Heritage Study Bible, mm-hmm. uh, yo, Tony Evans, he just came out with um, a, study Bible a study Bible of mm-hmm. his own. And and I was, I was under the impression that was the first study Bible made by any Mm-hmm. African American, mm-hmm. you know, and so this this is this was news to me with with uh, Kane Hope Felder mm-hmm. uh, creating Fun the African fact. Heritage Study Bible. Mm-hmm. Fun fact: Tony Evans was the first person, first Black person huh. to get a PhD from DTS. Wow! Whoa. Yeah, yeah, he's still alive. So that, you that, know, like, yeah. dude is alive. DTS has been he's around kicking. for a long time. Yeah. He's the first one to be like, "Oh, you, right. you got this!" Like, Dang. right? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the more you know. Uh, and then James Cone, right? James Cone is, uh, if you know any of these names, that's probably one of the names that you may have heard, mm-hmm. uh, even even more on the more controversial side, right? Because he's the father of black liberation theology. Um, and, and he gets a bad rap for that, right? Because when you think of black liberation theology, a lot of people tend to think of uh, Marxism and all these different kind of things. And uh, if you really study who James Cone is, you listen to even what he has to say about the movement in and of itself, you'll know and understand that uh, those two things are not the same, <laughs> right? And so I think it's really important to actually dive into the topics, dive into uh, what he's saying, get an understanding of, of what it is uh, before you toss it into one of the marginalized camps. So... I think, man, the problem with not being able to see things from another perspective spiritually actually hinders our ability to better know Jesus. As I mentioned before, Germans do not have the market covered on proper theology. The French don't have the market covered on proper theology. Jesus was not European with Eurocentric ideas. He was not of European descent. And I know we know these things, but collectively we don't act as if these things are true. And some people may even argue that, that, that it doesn't even matter, but mm-hmm. it does. <laughs> it really does matter. Our, our faith is mostly informed by one culture. We tend to center one way of worship. And even in house ministries that don't center the English language or popular Eurocentric worship styles and expression, right? We tend to find spaces for those ministries uh, and toss them off in the corner. Let it be something completely other altogether. I don't think it should be that way. And when we do this, we're actually not pursuing unity, but uniformed division. Real unity involves inclusion and and we know that this isn't something to pursue just because right and if you're pursuing it just because you're going to be turned away from it super quick (laughs) because real unity breeds uncomfortability real unity breeds challenges but in the midst of it all real unity also breeds love and appreciation for one another and a broader meaning of what it means to be like jesus so look, thank you guys for tuning into the Ambassador Podcast, Persian Tracy. Like always, y'all have been great. 
I'm looking forward to discussing more topics in the coming weeks. We hope for you listeners that this has been a helpful resource and we encourage you to visit our website at www.weareambassador.com where we'll be uploading a consistent stream of resources for you to dive into. If you have any questions or concerns, sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive frequent updates and an opportunity to send in questions or pursue conversation with us. Thank you for listening and we'll be back soon. Bye y'all. Thank you for listening to the Ambassador Podcast. If you would like to hear more episodes or get more information about the Ambassador, please check out our website at www.weareambassador.com.